When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I'm glad you joined us today. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee and the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. The calling of these early apostles happens after a real setback. John the Baptist is arrested. This means it's over for John's movement. He is um, going to be locked in what we might call today a prison, but it's really just a holding cell below the palace, a hole in the ground. There's rats, likely, and great deprivations. And he's going to be there until Herod, the son of Herod the Great, Herod the Great dies shortly after Jesus is born. And then his kingdom is divided somewhat, but there's still another Herod on the throne. And this is the Herod that kills John the Baptist. But he's been arrested. It's a huge setback. How could they do this? All John is doing is calling his own people back to the covenant. And yet John is a prophet. And as Jesus says, Jerusalem kills the prophets. And so... This setback, this arrest, means that Jesus goes to Galilee. He leaves that area that Herod has jurisdiction over and goes to the relative safety of his homeland. He is both from the north and the south, Bethlehem and Nazareth. And now he's settling by the sea. This was a setback, but it actually is the prophetic fulfillment of what Isaiah said would happen in the land of Zebulun, Naphtali, the road by the sea across the Jordan. The people that sat in great darkness will see a great light. And so this area of Galilee that has endured so much, it is the northern kingdom, Galilee, that the Assyrian captivity happens in. The total destruction of everything, just about. Whereas the southern kingdom is taken away and then brought back not intact, but relatively similar to how they left. The northern kingdoms of Israel, the ten tribes, are lost. They do not come back. They are scattered in lots of different ways. They likely do not become the 
Native Americans, as some have theorized, but ultimately they um, don't exist in the way that they did before with the same kind of cohesive identity. And other issues abound in that area, the Samaritan problem. These people that um, have their own temple, aside from the one in Jerusalem, but do follow the Torah, the law of God and law of Moses, um, but are very different from the Judeans in the south and the other Galileans in the north. From this, Even from the Gospels, we can see that people from Galilee are really different from people that are from around Jerusalem. They, they speak differently. And these are all just from, from the things in the Gospels. For instance, Peter's denial of Jesus. They say, you, you're with him. You're one of his disciples. You, you sound like a Galilean. You talk like a Galilean. However that was, I don't know if it was a, <clears throat> like a Maine accent or something, you know, from being up north. Or maybe it was more like a southern accent. Hard to say. But they spoke differently um, and certainly had a different kind of life here fishing along the Sea of Galilee. But it is this place, this setback that fulfills the prophecy. We don't always think of moments of arrest where we can't go forward. We seem stuck as moments of prophetic fulfillment. But that's how it was with Jesus. And maybe our moments are like that too in some ways. The things that have set us back are the ways in which we will enact the drama of God. I like to think that for myself sometimes, even though it's hard to see in the moment. It's really hard to see when we have setbacks. That actually the setbacks of our life are forging us into the kind of person that we need to be in the world, that the world needs from us. I think of the ways that in, in four years of church planting, um, I have had setbacks. We have had setbacks as a community. We faced many challenges that were seemingly insurmountable. Um, not to mention just starting a church in the 2020s or 2019, not the high point for church involvement in America at all. <clears throat> people say, well, you're from Texas, so people are more churchy there. Well, not, not the people that aren't going to church, you know. Um, it's not a Chick-fil-A where you start it and there's a line of cars out the front. Everything we've done at this church has been relational, personal, and invitational. It's not been coercive, no guilt trips, no no uh, manipul- manipulative stuff, nothing. We, we've had nothing to offer but Jesus, ultimately, and the community that he started. And so whatever success we've had in gathering this community, it has been at the cost of some really um, big setbacks that have discouraged us and demoralized us. And yet, it is that that moment of weakness, those moments of weakness that have made us more loving and more kind, more welcoming, less arrogant. And so when Jesus meets these two disciples, he is meeting them from his refuge there along the Sea of Galilee. Peter and Andrew, his name is Simon, Matthew records, he says, follow me, I'll make you fish for people. They've been casting a net into the sea. Jesus will later describe what he is doing as a dragnet, that the kingdom of God is like a dragnet that pulls up all sorts of kinds of people into the net, some who want to be there and some who do not. Ultimately, the dragnet of God, the 
the lavish invitation of God encompasses everyone. Now, the metaphor is a little off of fishing because the fish, you know, get eaten. But ultimately, that is also a symbol of new life, that the, um, the fellowship that we have with Jesus is like when he fed his disciples the fish of the little boy's lunch. That it is Jesus reading. Now, we haven't added fish to the Eucharistic meal. That's always a great April Fool's joke. Vatican announces fish being added to the Eucharist. Um, That's not true. It's not happening. But in the feeding, in some of those feeding stories, fish play a prominent role. And we shouldn't discount that as being symbolic of the origin of many of the disciples, especially Peter. His... uh, the keys of the fishermen, the ring of the fishermen, um, plays heavily in uh, the Bishop of Rome, the Pope's uh, way of understanding their office as Peter there being the rock upon which the church is built. But ultimately, it's a small start. It's a small beginning here on the shore of Galilee. All of our beginnings are small. They're all small starts. Then they have to get smaller, and they have to die, and then they can be reborn in new in a new hope. And this is the good news of Jesus, that whatever dies comes back. It always does. Even though it seems unbelievable, it always does in Jesus. He has that power to do that. And ultimately, that is what the church is here to announce, to announce what is already happening. That is what Jesus is there doing in the shores of Galilee, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near, he says. It's already here. He's not the one. It's just happening, and he's following it as well, this movement of God in the world through this life of this one person, but also in the life of the person, persons in which are gathered into this community. And so as they are talking about nets and drawing these people in, um, they leave their nets, and there's other brothers that come. They're mending the nets, and they leave their nets too and follow him. They leave their father. And this is beginning of the healing of diseases and every sickness among the people. Why were there so many sick people in Jesus' day? Well, certainly medical standards weren't up to what they are today. And we might look at um, people from a long time ago as being healthier than us or living longer than us. And of course, human lives are subject to many variables. You can't really boil it down to one thing um, that makes us healthy or good. Ultimately, um, people had diseases in the ancient world, some which were curable, some which were not. But this is the era in which uh, plagues are starting to happen that are sweeping through huge centers of population. The Roman road system and commerce system has linked so many people and they can rapidly move from place to place. And when they have diseases, those diseases move with them. And then we see the rise of the pandemics. At this point, there are no pandemics, according to historians. The first pandemic is the Antonine Plague, which happens hundreds of years later in the Roman Empire. But we see early beginnings of these epidemics in the, in the time of Jesus, as Rome has linked so much of the world, and in the Greek Empire as well before it. And so this linkage and rapid spread of communal disease, zoonautical diseases that come from um, animals and other diseases that come from other places 
certainly have, are having their way with people. And this is where Jesus goes to heal these people. One of the things I learned about um, reading about the plagues of Europe in the 13th, 14th, and 15th, well, all the way into the modern period, but beginning in the uh, 13th century, 14th century, depending on where you time it, um, so many of the people recovered if they had good nursing care. Um, lots of people did survive these plagues that were so devastating. And a lot of the difference between people that lived and people that died was the nursing care that they got. Not all of them. It's not without exception or anything like that. But there was one thing that came out in those books. And I think about when people get disease, diseases in places that are they don't really understand them and in places they do. We look at the the AIDS epidemic here in the United States, the AIDS pandemic here in the United States, how the isolation of the patients led to so much more death, the fear that people had for them, the lack of resources that they would be given. All of those factors played into more deaths and, and, and quicker deaths. Um, and this is true of every time there's a disease that scares people, which they always do, in ways that other natural disasters and wars and things don't quite grip people with fear the way diseases do and disrupting communal life so much. And this is the world that Jesus invites people to be more connected in, to care for each other, to, act, to practice the healing of God. The healing of God is always a restoration to community where people can get their care. There's a miraculous element to these, to these healing miracles of Jesus as well that are often very vivid and visual. But this description we have here is that he is among the people curing these diseases and sicknesses. Um, I don't know what that all was about, but I know what it's like to feel that healing power of Jesus. To know that, one, you don't have to live in your past. You don't have to live with the regrets and fears that have haunted and plagued you. The shame, the stigma, all of that stuff is stuff that other people are putting on you or the devil is. God's not putting any of that on you. That's coming from elsewhere. It's not inside you. So much of the time we um, have struggles and troubles and we feel like there's something wrong inside us, that there's something evil inside us, something broken that will never, ever be fixed. And ultimately, that is the good news of Jesus is that, yes, all is being restored in the kingdom of God. And yes, we will have challenges and setbacks all along our journey, but ultimately they are not the thing that defines who we are and what we are and how much we are worthy of love. That is something that comes from God. God's image is on us. We are washed in Christ's baptism. We rejoice in like the abundance of forgiveness and love. And that's what keeps us going. It is not, um, it is not our perfection, perfected state or our perfectness. And so what Jesus is calling these disciples to do is fish for people, not in a coercive way, but an invitational way, a mutual way. All evangelism should be mutual. It should be a learning of someone and, and learning about ourselves. We don't go around telling people um, they're going to hell and they better join our church somehow and that'll prevent that. Uh, that is a technique that's been used a lot, and I'm sure I've been, and I've been part of it as a youth growing up in fundamentalism. But ultimately, it's got to be good news. If it's not good news in Jesus, what's the point of talking about it? And Jesus knew he had it there on the shore of Galilee. It's the same good news that he has today, that you are forgiven, 
You are restored. You are whole. You have all that it takes. You are greatly loved. And ultimately, living in that love means that we have a possibility of a new life in Jesus. And that is ultimately what the good news is. And it's always a communal life. Jesus is calling his disciples to be with each other. Uh, This is the idea of a church as a school of love, a school where we learn how to love again, where we're confronted with some of our own issues from our childhood. Um, People in churches that are the ages of our parents or the ages of our children, ages of other significant characters in our life, or maybe have similar characteristics, sometimes even similar names, um, can often bring up in us a lot of unresolved conflict and feelings and angers and little petty bitternesses and sometimes big ones because they are stirring up some stuff that we were able to avoid. And maybe that's just survival and maybe that's good for some of us at certain times, but the church is a good laboratory to test it out because even though that that person that is a lot like your mother or your father that says a few things that kind of we're reactive to, they're not your mother or your father. Um, They're not the same person. And so sometimes we can learn to accept that person and listen to that person and care for them and love them and ultimately find some healing for the people that really do have hurt us um, and really have alienated us in some way. That's the school of love idea of the church. And that is ultimately what Jesus calls these disciples to. That is what it is to fish for people. Fishing is a is teamwork. There's nets casting into the sea. These are not lone actors in an, an angler with a fish and a hook. They're ultimately working in teams because that is what we do. Um, the worship of God is the major work of the church, and it takes a team to do it. It takes a lot of people to do it, and that is the glorious part of it, that you get enough people together there's some imperfections and things don't work right and we get frustrated. And that's ultimately a way to say, thank you, God. Thank you for this life in which I can mess it up from time to time. Thank you, God, for the ability to fail. Thank you for a community that holds me up in the net. Because ultimately that is what we offer each other, the strong nets um, that, that keep us out of danger, that keep us out uh, from drifting away. And this is what healing looks like for these people that Jesus and these new disciples of him go to. And I hope it can happen to you as well. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we in the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.